we're going to play a quick game of is it in the Bible, yes or no. Okay, you ready for this? Is it in the Bible, yes or no. Is it a scripture, yes or no. God helps those who help themselves. Are you sure? Good job. You already got a little star by your name. How about cleanliness is next to godliness? Bible or no? You sure? Isn't there something about godliness in the Bible? It's just not cleanliness. Ask, uh, who's the guy from the Peanuts? Pigpen. Yeah, that's not his life verse. Um, How about this? Money is the root of all evil. Threw you a curveball there. You got to wait. You got to sit back on the curveball. Let it come to you. Um, The love of money is the root of all evil. Or as one guy's TV preacher said, the lack of money is the root of all evil. How about this? This too shall pass. Is that in the Bible? It's not. And if you were going to read First Gandalf, you might have thought I was going to say, you shall not pass. Last one. God won't give you more than you can handle. Bible or no? Huh? Speak it? No? You're right. None of those are in the Bible. So as we finish up the book of Acts today, if you have your Bible, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 29, if you have your Bible, Acts chapter 29. There is no Acts chapter 29. It ends in Acts chapter 28. So you're being Miyagi'd right now. Paint the fence, wax the floor. There is no Acts 29. We're finishing this series today. We've been doing this since Easter, Kingdom Go. We started off the year in the Gospel of Luke, highlighting the life of Jesus his teachings, what he said, what he did, and ultimately that he, he died on a cross and rose again on our behalf. He defeated death. He defeated the enemy. He defeated sin by what he did. And then he commissioned the disciples to go, go into all the world and, and make disciples and tell everybody, go start in Jerusalem, then go to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And that's what we've seen unfold. And as we get to the last chapter of Acts, what I want you to get today is this phrase, Acts 29. We are living in Acts 29. Acts 29 began um, when it, it just continues on the ministry of Jesus. It continues the book of Acts. We're living in that. And Acts, the last chapter of Acts will be done when Jesus returns. So we're just continuing what they did. And so we're finishing that today. In uh, After the resurrection, and right before Jesus ascended back to the Father, our very first message we did in this series, um, Jesus told his disciples, he said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So for, for 40 days after Jesus rose from the grave, he appeared to the disciples Over 500 people saw the risen Christ. And that number 40 is not just a coincidence. 40 in the Bible is the number of deliverance. 40 years in the desert. 40 days in the temptation for Jesus. 40 days Goliath picked on, uh, on the Israelites. And they were, deliverance happens at that number 40. So Jesus was for 40 days was telling everybody, listen, I have delivered you. 
I have overcome. And then he told the disciples to go wait. They waited 10 more days. And the day of Pentecost, which in Leviticus happens 50 days after Passover, Jesus was crucified on Passover. And 50 days later, God's pouring out his Holy Spirit upon the, the, the early church. And then the first fruits, which Pentecost is about celebrating your first fruits, thousands of people were the first fruits to come to Christ through the preaching. Jesus, in Matthew, Matthew records the ascension of Jesus this way. He says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So Acts 29 is a metaphor that we're going to use today and continue, that it's the time between the ascension of Jesus and his second coming. And often people say, well, when's he coming again? He promised he was coming. The early church thought he might come back in their lifetime. Their lifetime. When's he coming? I don't know. And I don't like it when people make predictions that they know the day when Jesus is coming. People have made the church look foolish by trying to predict, say, it's this day. And it's always wrong, the day or the hour. We can look and say, okay, definitely there are signs that we can look for. But here's one verse that you can hang your hat on, on the return of Christ. He said in Matthew 24, 14, he says, And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it, and then the end will come. So when every tribe, tongue, language in the world has had the gospel preached, and there's a, a living, active church within those cultures, that's when the end's going to come. We're not there yet. There are still people groups that are still um, you know, waiting to hear about, about Jesus. So when we get to the very end of Acts 28, we see the Apostle Paul, he's, in a, uh, he's on house arrest in Rome. And he spends a couple of years on house arrest. And he, he, set, he went from, last week in chapter 20, he went to Jerusalem. And he stood before the religious leaders. And they wanted to execute him for his preaching of the gospel. Think about that. We take that for granted. He was, they wanted to execute him for preaching the gospel. So he appeals to Rome because he's also a Roman citizen. He goes to Caesarea, which is on the coast you know, of Israel, and it was a Roman territory. And then they, he, said, he makes his appeal, and he goes all the way to Rome. So from Acts 20 to the, to the end is all of his journey before all these different leaders, the, the Jewish leaders, the Roman leaders, and then his, his getting shipwrecked along the way and all kinds of crazy things. And he says this at the very end, "'Let it be known to you then,' that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, the non-Jews. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So Paul went from house arrest, and they moved him into a cold, dark prison cell, meant for a hardened criminal, 
for preaching the gospel, for sharing to the world that God loved them and that Jesus was the true king. What we were just singing about, all hail King Jesus, got Paul arrested and ultimately beheaded. So I put Acts 29 question mark on your notes is what happened in the book of Acts continues today. Um, We support uh, Joshua Nations as a church. Every time you give to the church, we give back to Joshua Nations, which is our our main uh, missionary partner that we partner with. And they was started by Russ Fraze, who many of you know he went home to be with the Lord back in January, but he he had a vision that he started years ago to train up in nations that didn't hear the gospel, to train up, preach the gospel, train up pastors, train up leaders, and, and go into all the world just to continue the book of Acts. As a matter of fact, as we speak, you can be praying. Um, Pastor Russ's protege, uh, Jason Holland, is kind of, he's, he took the torch and he's running with it. And they're still going to continue this ministry. They're in the nation of Chad, which is a country in Africa. And there are many parts of the nation of Chad that have never heard about Jesus. They have never heard the gospel. Many of them are locked in by uh, Muslim hostility towards the preaching about Jesus as well. They're in Chad as we speak and reaching people and go, doing hard work. So keep, keep them in your prayers. Acts 29, this thing continues until Jesus returns. Jesus, in that, the Great Commission, he said, go. He said, make. He said, baptize. He said, teach. It wasn't an option. That was not an option for the disciples. They, they couldn't, you know, say, um, can somebody else do that, Jesus? No. He said, you, you do. I'm sure they thought that at times. But they had seen Jesus. They walked with Jesus. They saw him alive. Nothing was going to hold them back from sharing what he had done for them. Nothing was going to hold them back. It's not an option for us. It's not an option for anyone in this room or watching online who names the name of Jesus or follows that we're all part of Acts 29. What role and what part do we play is going to be different, but we're all called to that. And the local church, Novation Church, is just an, one expression of his church throughout the world. We're one expression. And the local church really has a twofold um, thing happening all the time. The local church is a hospital for the broken. It's a hospital for those who have had their butts kicked by life, that are hurting. But it's also a training center that we come together and we disciple one another and we grow so that we can go back out the doors when we leave here this morning and go to our mission field, your community, your workplace, wherever you're at. We're all called to be part of spreading that hope. So the question I want to answer is, what is my role? What is your role in Acts 29 and how do we fulfill it? Because we all have a role and we all need to be, you won't be fulfilled until you're pursuing what God wants you to do with your God-given life. The first thing is, I need to partner with God and accept my part. We partner with God. Every single one watching or in this room, we're all ministers. You are a minister. Say that with me. I am a minister. You are. You need to believe that. 
It's not just pastors and missionaries or people who do church work for a living. We're all ministers regardless of, of what we do vocationally with our life. We're all called to, to partner with God. And here's the interesting thing. God is sovereign, right? He's all-powerful. He does not need me. He doesn't need any of us to fulfill his plan. But he set it up in such a way that we participate with him to fulfill this great kingdom commission. We don't have any choice. We participate with him. And it's important that we accept that calling. And this isn't anything new with God. Go back to the Garden of Eden. Be fruitful and multiply. The Adam and Eve were given stewardship over the garden to nurture it, to grow it, to grow Eden and subdue the earth. Israel had a calling to be the light of the world, a light in a barbaric world that was killing each other and nothing but, but, but uh, you know, crazy stuff. God chose Israel and said, I'm going to set you apart. You're going to be different. Same was true of 12 disciples, 12 misfits, if you really think about it. They had their own agenda. They didn't get it. And yet God said, I want you to participate with me, and we're going to change the world. And we're, that continues with us today. Paul told the, the Ephesian church, he said, for we are God's handiwork. Literally, the word handiwork means masterpiece. So we as individuals corporately are a mosaic that Jesus has chosen to to change the world. We were created in Christ to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Think about it. Young people in this room, don't think to yourself, what do I want to do with my life? What do I want to do when I'm older? Get on your knees and say, God, what do you want to do with my life? You will be fulfilled in your life if you hand the keys of your life back to your creator and say, what do you want to do with my life? Because if, I, if I'm in charge of my life, I'm going to make a big, huge mess out of it. Anybody relate to that? <laughs> Older folks, right? We've made mistakes because we wanted to drive the, the keys, drive the car of our life, so to speak. Hand those keys back to the Lord. Say, you know what's best. You know what's best for me in every way in my life. And I want to align my will to your will. I know sometimes we feel, um, I don't know, restless. We get in life and we're doing our routine. We feel unfulfilled. We feel purposeless. The things of, of this world, the chasing after uh, accolades and accomplishments and accumulating things leaves us empty at the end of the day. And it should because we weren't created to accumulate stuff. We weren't created just to have our own accomplishments. We were created to do good works that were prepared for us in Christ. If you sense a little urgency in me this morning, I feel it from the bottom of my heart for us that God is calling us to a new level and that we're to take him serious. And what's at stake is our joy. Our joy, fulfilling, letting God fulfill his plan in your life is all about truly walking in joy. Because when you're aligned with God, that's when you're walking in peace and that's when you're walking in joy. 
the good news is God has given us a purpose in Christ, and we're to pursue that. He's given everybody here talents. You have talents on loan from God. God gave you talents to use to make life better for others and to serve his purpose and plan. You have life experience. You've done good things, right? We've made mistakes. We learn from both. We get to give those back to people and share our own mistakes. He's given you a spiritual gifts. Whether you realize it or not, you have a gift that is given by the Holy Spirit, more than, more than one gift. And he wants you to find it, exercise it, serve his church, and serve the world with the gift that he's given you. So partner with God. That's the first thing that we do, and accept your role. The second thing is I need to purpose myself to walk in love. If we're going to fulfill this Acts 29 calling, I need, to, I need to purpose myself to walk in love. God is love. Love is not God. God is the very definition of love. Everything about God is, is love. In uh, John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, those chapters are John's recollection of that intimate time that Jesus had with the disciples at the Last Supper in the upper room before Jesus was going to be betrayed. And Jesus, it's just this intimate time together of teaching just the twelve. And he, in chapter 13, Jesus, he takes the role of a servant and he washes their feet. He washes their feet. And then later he says in 13, 34, and 35, he says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That's interesting. A new command? As students of Scripture, the disciples would have known Leviticus already said, love your neighbor as yourself. Why is this a new command? He says, as I have loved you. Jesus is upping the ante here on what love looks like, taking the role of a servant. God in the flesh washed the disciples' feet. We have a humble God. And as he has loved us, we're to love others. How has God loved you? He's forgiven you. He cares for you. He provides for you. He's patient with us. That's how we're to love others. And then later in chapter 14, he says, if you love me, show it by doing what I've told you. If you love me, you'll do what I say. What did he say to do? Love people. Love one another. I think sometimes when we think of obedience to, to Jesus that might conjure up something and depending upon your church background, how, you, how walking with Jesus was presented to you when you were younger, that, that if you love me, you'll obey me. And you pull out your list. I don't do this, I do that. I go to church, I da, 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 and you have your list. It's not a religious list or duty that he's talking about. He's saying, if you love me, will you please love others? Show that you love me in how you love and treat one another. The third thing in this partnering with God, this Acts 29, continuing the kingdom, kingdom go, is I need to be willing to enter into the pain of others. That's not easy to do. I need to be willing to enter into the pain of others. Rick and Patty Stricker 
part of our church. Rick is part of Marked Men for Christ. And on their retreats, they enter into the pain of men. They enter into it and minister uh, and get to the heart of what's going on in people's life. Joel and Alicia are part of, uh, Dennis are part of um, men and women at the cross. And they do these weekends away and they enter into the pain of others. People's pain, their past, maybe they shoved away. God wants to heal people. So we got to enter into the pain of others. Jesus was always willing to enter into the pain of others. In the book of Acts, we see them entering into the pain of others. Now, don't put this verse up on the screen just yet. I want to share it from memory from one translation. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, Paul tells the, the church at Corinth, he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those with the same comfort we've received from God. Listen to the way, uh, a more, you know, poetic way of saying this or a paraphrase. The author says, All praise to the God and Father of our Master, Jesus the Messiah, Father of all mercy, God of all healing counsel, He comes alongside us when we go through hard times. And before you know it, he brings us alongside someone else who is going through hard times so that we can be there for that person just as God was there. We all have scars on our body. I got plenty. All boy growing up, stitches, (laughs) scratches broken bones, blah, blah, blah. And, and I, I have a scar on my wrist. If you have a, many of you have scars. And when you see that scar, do you ever think about what happened when you, when you got that scar? I'm sure you do. I have a scar on my wrist. High school football, my arm got caught in between two helmets. Boom. Start bleeding, got cut really bad. And I can look down, I remember exactly how bad it hurt. And, <laughs> but you know what? It healed. Your scars are signs that physically your body healed itself. Emotionally, relationally, mentally, we've been wounded. You've been wounded. But God's healed you. I've heard a lot of your stories. God brought you through these troubled times. He comforted you. Guess what? He comforted you. Now you get to comfort others. You get to be the comfort of God to someone who's going through what you've been through. You get to be there for them. You get to fulfill and partner with God and and be part of the healing process so that that person can be comforted and healed and then give it away, continue and continue the whole process there. Hurting people, hurting people don't remember what we say when they're hurting. It's the truth, right? You just remember that they showed up. You remember they were there for you. You remember that they reached out to you in the middle of your pain. That's part of the deal is just showing up and just being there. When it's not having the right eloquent words to say, it's just being there. We have a real hope that needs to be shared. You've probably looked around and saw that our world is kind of jacked up. Anybody? Just a bit? Hurting, hurting people. And we need to not look at people through the lens of judgment, but through the lens of compassion. People are hurting. 
There is a real enemy. There's a real lying, murdering enemy. And he's out to kill, steal, and destroy. And he's still up to his, his business. He's been defeated by the cross and what Jesus did. He, he disarmed the powers. In a couple weeks, the Sunday after July 4th, July 11th, I've been studying for a whole year for this new series that we're going to start called Let There Be Light. And I'm going to look at, at this spiritual warfare and the, and the powers of, of darkness and how they've been defeated and how Jesus has all authority and he's given that to us. We're going to look at several different questions that we're going to answer over the course of that series. I'm excited. I pray that you all can participate in that and, and, and grow with me as well in that. But people need hope. We need to enter into their pain. Next thing about partnering with God in this fulfillment of Acts 29 is I need to be anchored in God's power. I need to be anchored in God's power. Just like an anchor holds a boat in the storm, the water can be moving and bouncing the waves, but that anchor's holding it steady. God's power, we need to be anchored into God's power. Paul in Romans 8 says that the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. Think about that. The same power that took a dead man and brought him back to life lives in you and me. Scott, are you accessing that power on a daily basis? I'm not. I want to. I'm learning. But you have the same power that raised Jesus from the dead living in you to overcome all of the difficulties and things in life. That same power we need to be anchored to. Paul says in Ephesians 2.20 and 21, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Here's what I know. I don't need willpower. I need real power. My willpower kind of sucks, just to be quite honest with you. I don't know about you. You don't need willpower. You need real power. We need His power. And we're anchored to that through Christ. It's already there. You don't have to beg God for more power. You already have it inside of you. It's a matter of you and I learning to acknowledge it and access it on a daily basis. The power to live life in a joyful meaningful, impactful way. Acts 29, as I said this earlier, as a metaphor, is a continuation of the ministry of Jesus. If you look at the ministry of Jesus, you know, he passed it on to the disciples in the book of Acts, and these 12 goofballs turned the world upside down, completely radically transformed by the filling of the Spirit. Jesus preached, they preached, and we preach. And just a total side note, if you're reading through the book of Acts with me, in Acts chapter 20, those of you that think, I preach long, let me tell you a funny story, right out of the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 20, it says the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul, right? He was preaching. He was in a three-story house on the third level. Many of you have read this. He's on the third story. 
And the text of Scripture literally says he went on and on and on. It says that. He kept going. You think we go long. He went on and on and on to the point where it was getting late. And those of you that have fallen asleep in church don't feel bad because this young man named Eucatus fell out the window. He was sawing logs. Boom, he hits the ground. He dies. We laugh about it. But we look back, Paul gets up from preaching, runs downstairs, throws his cloak on him, says, he's okay. He's going to be all right. He's not dead. I raised him back. God's power raised him back. And Paul goes back upstairs and goes on and on. It says he went all the way through the night preaching. So if you fall asleep during 30-minute message versus what Paul did, you know, I mean, it's funny. That's funny to me, that little side note there. If you haven't read that, go see it. It's in the Bible. Jesus prayed. They pray in the book of Acts. We pray. It's just a continuation. Jesus was filled with the Spirit. The disciples were filled with the Spirit. We're filled with the Spirit. Jesus had a ministry of compassion The the book of Acts has a ministry of compassion. We have a ministry of compassion. The last thing that, you know, how do we fulfill our role here? How do we partner with God in this Acts 29? Is I need to stir up new passion daily. Yesterday's passion is not going to cut it. Passion wanes. Passion settles. There are things in life that you used to be passionate about that maybe you're not as passionate about today. Passion, when it's not stirred up, wanes. Any married couple, you've been married for a while, if you don't stir up your passion, it just, you're like, uh, how long have we been married? <laughs> Do I know you? I mean, it just is, it's a, something that needs in a relationship to be stirred. It also does spiritually in our relationship with God. Passion keeps us alive. Passion gets us out of bed. Paul said this in Romans 12, 11. He says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, your passion, serving the Lord. How's our passion today? I was thinking about this the other day. I'll let you into my world for a second. The Rockies lost. I get it. I get it. They're easy to kick around right now. They lost, and I was mad. I'm sick of them losing one-run games after seven innings, just to be quite honest with you. I was mad. Like, Janelle was like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm mad. And all of a sudden, this conviction came over me. It's like, what do you expect, Scott? They're the Rockies, right? They're going to lose. And this conviction came over me. I'm mad. I'm passionate about my team. I'm mad about they lost a baseball game when there are kids starving in the world and all these bad things happening. What is wrong with you? So then they lost again yesterday, and it, I, I didn't care as much. It didn't, it, it didn't bother me as much. This whole thing about sacred pathways that we're talking about, man, can I encourage everybody to participate in this? It was life-changing for me when I discovered sacred pathways and what my pathway was and and communing with God 
every one of us, we have to stir up our relationship with the Lord. He's not going anywhere. He's perfect. It's us entering into that relationship and knowing how to stir up our passion. And when it comes to the sacred pathways, it's like for me, my pathway is in my mind. When I see a new truth in Scripture and some dots get connected, I'm like, oh, I fall on my face in worship. And I'm like, oh, this is so beautiful. That's not everybody. And guess what? I get that. Somebody else is, is contemplative or you like being outside in nature. And that's where you feel when you read your Bible or pray, you feel connected to God. I don't. I like it. It's like, oh, it's cool. It's a river, cool mountain. But I want to, this is, it doesn't matter where I'm at. I could be in, a, in my basement or on a, you know, on a mountain. This is still where I connect with God. That doesn't mean that all of us need to find out where that is and nurture it. That's what this whole seminar is going to be about. You will grow. I don't care how long you've been walking with Jesus, you will grow by understanding the content um, in this. Commune with God every day. Wake up every day and say, God, I want to align my will with yours. What do you have in store for me? Make me attentive to what you're saying. Make me attentive to the needs of people around me. Help me not to be self-focused. You read the scriptures. You pray. You worship. You give thanks to him. You count your blessings. And you align your will to his. Let's stir that passion up every day. You will fulfill his purpose in your life as you're communing with him. Apart from him, we can do nothing. We can do all things through him who gives us strength. So when we're connected to him, that's when we're going to find ourselves operating in his power. So I want to bring it to a head with this question. And this is, I hope this doesn't come across trite. And it's definitely not trying to make you feel guilty. I'm asking myself the same question. How much personal responsibility do I take in the Great Commission? How much personal responsibility do we individually and corporately take in this being obedient to go, make disciples, teach, baptize, the participation in this Acts 29 we're going to go back into the chorus of All Hail King Jesus. And as we do that, I was praying all week long. And I felt like, whether somebody was watching online or in this room, I felt like God has tapped somebody or, or a few people on the shoulder and said, I have a calling for you. I'm calling you into full-time ministry. I'm calling you into missions. I sensed that somebody in... in, in there might be a little resistance or hesitancy on your part. As we sing and reflect, just open your heart up to the Lord. See what he's saying. There's nothing more fulfilling than doing the will of God. And anybody that wants to do the will of God, you don't have to worry about, is this the will of God? If you want to do the will of God, the will of God finds you. It will, it will show up on your doorstep and you'll know. If God's calling you, I want to talk to you. I want to... I want to I want to speak with you sometime outside of Sunday and hear your heart and see what God is saying. So doors open for anyone that's, that's feeling, feeling that. And as Philippians 2 says, At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And he's quoting Isaiah 45, where in the Hebrew it says, Every knee will bow and every tongue pledge allegiance 
to the Lord. So as we sing, stand with me, as we sing, I want, I think three things need to happen. A, personal reflection. What's God calling me to? And then maybe it's a re-pledging of your allegiance to the Lord and saying, here I am, send me. Maybe it's a pledge allegiance for the first time. Jesus, I want to be on your side. I want to walk with you. I want to be obedient to you. And then for all of us, it's a resolve. Let this singing be a resolve to the heart of God and what he has for us. person that ever dedicated their life to live in the power of Jesus, for Jesus, to do what he says to do, no person has ever regretted that. The only regrets are when we don't let him have all of our life. That's when we end up with regret. So may God bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you, be gracious unto you, impart to you his joy and peace. May you access the very power that raised Jesus from the grave that lives within you. May you access that on a daily basis. May your relationships, your friendships be blessed physically, spiritually, emotionally, in every way. Be whole in the name of Jesus. Amen.